Hey, if you don't know, my name is Matt. I'm a pastor here. Um, if you're new, welcome. I hope you have a seat. If you don't, then you can get a seat. Uh, what we do at Edgewater is we open the Bible. We believe that God's word is a lamp unto our feet, that we learn how God designed things. So on a Sunday, we'll grab an idea or so. We're in the book of Genesis right now, which Genesis is an unbelievable book. I keep telling people, if you get Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you have the big story of the Bible, that God creates a beautiful place for his people. Um, we trash that beautiful place, and then God recreates and redeems to an even better place. That's the entire Bible, by the way. So you get that in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So Sundays, we take a little segment of uh, the chapter. Then Wednesday nights right here, you're invited, seven o'clock. We'll spend more time in that chapter. So we're in chapter two right now. Uh, chapter two is a phenomenal chapter. You get marriage. You get Adam's creation formed out of dust, divine breath breathed into him. Marriage, the joy of marriage, you get that in there. Uh, what that means, so just phenomenal chapter. Chapter three, uh, like I've been thinking about chapter three for a while now. It's unbelievable. Nature of sin, nature of temptation. Who is the serpent? Why is he in there? Why is there a bad tree in the garden? If God made everything good, why is there a bad tree in the garden? Right? God made good fruit trees, it says. He says it a couple times, in fact. So why is there this bad tree in there? How'd it get there? I don't know. Like there's these really cool things in these chapters. So that's what we do. So we're gonna look at Genesis chapter two. Open your Bibles to Genesis 2, which is one of the benefits of looking at Genesis, because everyone can find the book, like, immediately. <laughs> the next book we're going to do is Lamentations. Good luck finding that one. It's like two pages long, centered in the middle. Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation fascinating. Father, thanks for this revelation. May we receive it correctly. May we be able to contemplate how we fit. May we be able to understand what is the path of life. And so this day, Lord, May you give us the ability to think, to receive, to look at our lives from a lens that is divine. So help us in that. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God here, after six days, takes a day off. Now, why does God take a day off? 
Is he tired? Because he says like 27 words over six days. That's it. I mean, it's not much. Four words a day, five words a day. Is he exhausted? Is he like, whoo, man, I just made the universe. I need a day off. Is that the deal? Is God exhausted? No. Psalm 121 says, God neither sleeps nor slumbers. It wasn't exhausting for God to do the work of creation. Something else is happening here. So last week, we looked at how when God makes us, he calls us his image bearers, that we are supposed to be reflecting what God does in the cosmos down here, how God rules. We're supposed to do the same thing. Now we're supposed to look like Exodus 34, having compassion and mercy and forgiveness and slow to anger. All those things are supposed to be the way that we image bear God down here, right? So I think the bigger message is God is actually showing us what he does so that we begin to image bear that as well. So God on day seven, he rests. He just takes a break. Didn't even need it, but God says, I'm taking it. How do we, 21st century America, how do we do at resting? We have a fast pace, don't we? It seems like to me the pace of our world is actually getting faster and faster and faster and faster. Like it's accelerating. Part of it's technology, like technology has given us the ability to never have to disconnect. So we can constantly be updating something or checking something or social media or receiving a phone call or a text or Snapchatting. There's all these ways that you can just keep yourself busy and connected. But it's even more than that. Like our cars now have become these like little dens of connectivity, right? So you can't just sit in your car and talk anymore. Like I did when I was a little kid, fight with my siblings. It's now a DVD player because I want to be now entertained and, and I want stuff happening. I want input. In our cars, we go to drive-thrus. Why do we go through a drive-thru? To eat dinner in our SUVs, just like God intended us to, <laughs> Right? No longer can we set out plates and like actually cook a meal and have that process and, and the time it requires. No way, drive through, get it down, let's go. The best-selling brands are the best-selling kind of shampoo. It's shampoo plus. Why? <laughs> Why do we need conditioner in there? Because then it's just one step and it's really quick and I can get back to my life. <laughs> like, wow, I mean, it's every level. It's a perspective now that we have brought into life. So there's this guy who he did his uh, dissertation. His name is Dr. Richard Wiseman. You can Google him. His dissertation was, how fast do people walk? So he went to all these countries across the world and he, just, he, he and his staff would put out like two markers that nobody knew and they would just sit and they would time people how long it took them to walk 60 feet. So I'll give you two examples. Malawi, 31.6 seconds to walk 60 feet, just enjoying life, right? New York City, same measurement, 12 seconds, right? That's us. Fast pace, we gotta go. Energy drinks, like the explosion now of energy drinks. My favorite one is full throttle. Like just the name, you think, 
Wow, full throttle. Would I do that to my car? Would I go out in my car in the morning, like start up and just go, shift into reverse, shift into drive, like the whole time, would I do that to my car? No, why not? I would destroy it. And yet that's what, full throttle. Like the size of them is unbelievable. When they came out, they were 11 ounce Red Bulls. Now I talk to these guys, they come into my office and they have, it looks like a mini keg. It's got a little pump on it and they're just like, just to stay awake, huh? I'm like, dude, are you serious? I mean, what is that doing to you? Really? It's insane. It's crazy. Have you heard of Netflix, Netflix binging? Right? It's, these, it's this thing where uh, if you're younger, this happens, seems to happen quite often, where they get into like a, a series of shows and they, they like play back to back to back and they'll just watch like 12 hours straight of them from like eight at night until eight in the morning and then they go to work, just trash. Dude, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Suck on the full throttle. Dude, I Netflix binge last night. Oh, I'm so tired, right? It's just this pace now. It's like fast, 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 fast. It's unbelievable. I joke about the attention span thing now. Growing up, normal commercial when I was a kid, one minute long. Now, normal com commercial length is 15 seconds. Why? Because we don't have the attention span for one minute anymore. And the best study I read on attention span was when you use the internet because you're filtering so much information, you're like, you know, knocking stuff off and changing stuff. And no, I don't need that. I don't need that. Your attention span just drops to, it drops down to nine seconds. That's the same length as a goldfish's attention span, which means I need to repeat that for a lot of you. Nine seconds, internet goldfish. Okay, now you got it. It's insane. This is pace. Well, Matt, that's New York City. Come on, it's not Grand's Pass. We're chill here. Okay, let me test you. Have you ever been walking behind somebody and been angry at the pace that they're walking at? Right? Just like shopping cart, come on. I mean, what's the mystery? It's just cereal, grab one, right? You're just like, ah, get out of my way. <laughs> Anybody? Or just me? <laughs> I'm, I'm most of these, by the way. Have you ever jumped in on a conversation because it's taking someone too long to explain it? Get to the point already. I know what you're saying. Come on, spit it out. Right? It's just this rush in us. This, oh, oh. You ever drive down 6th Street, right where it gets to 7-Eleven, and you get to that light and you start, you go by the two lanes, you know it's going to compress back down to two, and you kind of look over, can I pass them? Happens to me all the time because I'm in my Volkswagen van. It's like NASCAR, just rum, rum, rum. Everyone's just like, really? You're saving what? 12 seconds? Like we are just, we are a driven culture. Ever get into an elevator and press the closed door button and like keep pressing it? Like, you know that is the first button that dies on an elevator? They have to replace them all the time. Like, ah! Psychologists have actually studied people getting onto elevators and they found this, that anger peaks in like four seconds on an elevator. Like, it's crazy. You get on there like, hey man, how you doing? Man, what a beautiful day. What is wrong with this thing? I hate it. Where are the stairs, right? You're just like, bro, it's helping you go up, man. Come on. It's insane. This is, this is the world we live in today. 
this pace that's now just pressed on us culturally from every aspect. And if you ever have lived or been in a different culture, you come back to this when you're like, whoa, wow, people walk fast. Wow, people, everything just feels like, ah, wow, this is fast. We don't rest well. 21st century America, we don't rest well. We're way too stressed out. There's a study that just said we, our stress has peaked this year higher than ever before in history. So what do we do about it? Well, you can Google like some stuff. And so I did a, a couple years ago and I came across this article, like how to, how to enjoy your day. It was on the Huffington Post. And this was their number one way to enjoy your day. In the morning, go into your bathroom, open the window, take your hairdryer, point it out the window, turn it on and repeatedly say, I spread joy to the whole world. <laughs> I tried that this morning. I found a lot more joy in just throwing the whole thing out the window. I'm like, that's joyful, right? You can try that. Or I think you can back up and you can be like, on page one of God's divine revelation in the book of Genesis, Maybe, just maybe, God's giving us a hint on how things work. Maybe this Sabbath thing that God does here isn't because he needed to, but was actually an example for us as image bearers. This is how you're supposed to live. Like, this is going to help you a ton. Because I think as a culture, we have forgotten rhythm. There's a rhythm you see in this six in one, six in one. You see this rhythm of Sabbath. And whenever I talk to people about Sabbath, usually there's this pushback, especially in America. Like, are you kidding me? I can't possibly do that. Or I don't want to do that. Sabbath sounds terrible. What am I supposed to do all day? Just like sit around and think holy thoughts and be like, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Even though I'd rather be playing football right now or doing anything but this. So there's this pushback and most of it actually comes from the history of our culture and how we viewed Sabbath. So a long time ago, five, six years ago, I read, yeah, a long time ago, a couple years ago, I should say, I read to my kids the Little House on the Prairie books, great books. One of them, the chapter is called Sunday. And it's how they had to live on Sunday. And so the, the chapter is like, they hated Sundays. Because on Sunday back then, they could do nothing. You had to just sit and think holy thoughts and pray. And so they're sitting there and, and the four of them are looking outside and they see this beautiful snow hill. And they're just like, oh, to go out there and sled on that hill night, that'd be so awesome. And so they're watching their dad, Charles, who's reading the Bible and finally he falls asleep. So guess what they did? They went outside sledding. And guess what happened to them when Charles found out? not so much fun, right? So there's this kind of idea like, oh, you know, you got to sit there and have like terrible, oh, la. In fact, you can Google at some time, not now, the blue laws. The blue laws are these laws that are, many of them are still on the books in states across America that dominated our culture for a long time and said, you can and cannot do these things on Sunday. So right now in Oregon, this law is still there. You are not, it's illegal on Sunday to eat ice cream. 
come arrest me today. All right, so I'm saying, go ahead. And the idea behind that law is this, you can't enjoy yourself on Sunday. You have to like walk on your knees and, and beat yourself and not have a good day. So there's all that kind of weight when we start talking about the Sabbath that kind of comes with it, but I think it's totally wrong because read what this says. It says that God blessed the seventh day. If you look at what God has done in the blessings, he's, he's blessed two other things, the fish of the sea and humans in chapter one. Both times God blesses, he says, be fruitful and multiply. I think God's blessing on the seventh day is so that the other six days of our life are multiplied and fruitful. That if you actually Sabbath right, what happens is you are way more productive and you're way more fruitful on the other six days. There's a blessing in it. He also makes it holy. This is the only thing, the only thing in creation that God makes holy, the seventh day. I think there's something in here that's huge, right? So I'm gonna be very, I know I've been like a little deeper intellectually the last three Sundays. This is gonna be super simple and maybe thought-provoking and hopefully practical. So I wanna do two things. I wanna give you the two reasons I think the Bible says you should Sabbath and then look practically at how that works out because I don't know a harder culture than our culture today that wars against Sabbathing, okay? So reason number one, you should Sabbath. Now I've kind of already hit it, to live in sync. What you see in Genesis one and the first part of Genesis two is God has this rhythm of six days on and one day off, the seven-day week. So let me ask you this question. Why do we have 30 days in a month? Anybody? The moon, brilliant. The moon essentially goes through all of its phases in 30 days. So a long time ago, some people kind of noticed that and they thought, hey, that is very useful. In fact, that's what God creates them for, for times and seasons, chapter 1, verse 14 through 18. So they're able to use that to like, hey, we can figure out time with the moon. So 30 days in a month. Why do we have 365 days in a year? Very good. Scientist out there. That's the time it takes for the earth to go around the sun, right? So someone kind of figured that out a while back and they're like, hey, that's very useful too. We can figure out years this way. So there is a natural phenomena that drives months and years. Why do we have seven days in a week? There is no reason. Yeah, I know, I'm, I'm such a stinker. You guys are like, oh, I'm gonna get this right. Man, he called me a scientist too, I gotta get it right. There is no known phenomenon why we have seven days in a week. There's nothing that corresponds to our solar system that would give us this kind of structure. It's crazy. And yet you look throughout cultures, very diverse, very different, very separated, they all have a seven-day week. In fact, science is finding, there's this thing, it's called a circuseptin rhythm. It's a rhythm of seven. It's built into us. Your heart rate for six days is a certain rate. And then on the seventh day, it'll drop down a little bit. And on the eighth day, it goes back up and repeats that. Your blood pressure is a certain blood pressure for six days, and then on the seventh day, it will drop down just a little bit. Your blood chemistry is a certain blood chemistry, and on the seventh day, it changes just a little bit. Your body temperature, same 
system, kidney function, immune system. Children, when they are teething, for six days, they'll push out teeth. On the seventh day, they rest. You know why God did that? So parents wouldn't go insane. I'll give you one day of rest and then you're back, right? There's this rhythm. And so um, some, some people try to study this and they're like, maybe our bodies are actually responding to a seven-day week and they've, they've responded to it that way. So that would be, it's not created, it's actually culture. Culture has done it to us, environment. But there's a guy named Dr. Franz Halberg who began to study this, you can Google him. And what he found was this, that this six-in-one rhythm, this circusceptin rhythm is actually echoed through creation, plants. And so he did these, these studies on algae blooms where he would take pictures of them. And he found algae blooms will grow and grow and grow for six days. And guess what they do on the seventh day? They rest. And on the eighth day, they start to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow again. Well, algaes don't have any culture, right? There's nothing they're like, hey, you know what? This would be a really good idea if we rested for one day. Yes, I think God's telling us to do that. No, it's something deeper. Like it, it's built into the very fabric of time. God blesses this day. He makes it different. Sets it apart. That's what holy means. Fascinating. Totally. So powerful is this rhythm in humans that twice we know in modern history, there's been an attack on it. They're called the seven-day wars. Two nations tried to actually dismantle the weak both of them, it was enlightenment in France and, and communism in Russia. Both of them were trying to get rid of God because they knew the seven-day thing goes back to Genesis 1, and we don't want that anymore. So France tried it. They went to a 10-day week, 10 hours a day, 100 minutes an hour, 100 seconds in a minute. It was a complete failure, and they quit it. Well, Russia thought, we'll redo this thing. So in 1929, Stalin said, we're going to a five-day week. He did it for 11 years. He quit it because World War II started and he found unbelievably that his people were totally irresponsible and productivity over those 11 years had plummeted. In order for them to fight World War II, they had to go back to a seven-day week. That's how powerful it is. It's actually built into the fabric of our being. And when we're out of rhythm, when we're not in this six and one rhythm, you start to break down. Studies have found there's a bunch of good ones. Cultures or people groups that do a Sabbath are less stressed. They're more healthy. They're more productive on the other six days. Like in every way possible, the other days are multiplied and fruitful. So Loma Linda, California, who lives down there? Seventh-day Adventists, right? It's a massive Seventh-day Adventist crew who are really, really, really specific about keeping a Sabbath. It is one of the five blue zones in our world. Blue zones are the places where people live to be on average 100 years old. Now, there's a couple of reasons why they eat healthy, they exercise, but another one is they believe they keep the Sabbath. They're in that rhythm. Charity and I were in Israel. Uh, we were there for three weeks and we went through three of their Sabbath things. The whole nation shuts down, everything. If you don't buy what you want on Friday night, before sundown, you're not getting it. Just that simple. The whole place shuts down. And Israel is a lot like us, what they eat, uh, smoking, drinking, like all those normal things that can lower life. But yet they have the highest lifespan of any industrialized nation. And the one difference that, that scientists always look at, sociologists always look at, 
is the Sabbath. There's the main difference in them. Like this thing gets you in sync. Why do you want a Sabbath? Because you're going to live in sync. You're going to live in sync, no doubt. The second reason, and it's from the command that God gives. This is just creation. God hasn't given any rules yet to Israel, but God gives some rules to Israel, and one of them is to keep the Sabbath. So we get our second reason from that. Flip forward in your Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 5. And here I think we get this incredible other reason why we want to do it. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as Yahweh your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servants and your female servants may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and Yahweh your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, Yahweh your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Second reason, you'll live as you're free. You'll live as a free person. Notice there's no creation in this. It's not, hey, this is because I created the world like this. Not at all. There's two things to note. First, the measure of this command. Verse 14, God makes the measure really big, right? He's not like, hey, dad, you're gonna take the day off. But man, make your son and daughter work their tail off. You just relax, but you get your kids to work. No, he says, your, your kids take the day off too. Not only that, your servants take the day off. It's not just a white collar day off. It's everybody. Not only you and all the people, but then he just goes through all the livestock you can even imagine, ox and donkey and life. Your animals all need the day off. Like he's saying, I want all of creation to rest. If you know the story of Israel, he'll even say, I want your land to rest. Six years you can work your land. On the seventh day, let your land rest as well. Like the measure of this is massive. God says, I want creation to rest. My creation is not a factory pumping out mud bricks for me. It's a garden. I want it to be fruitful and enjoyable. So take the weekend off. Do you like your weekends? You can thank God. It's his idea. The measure. Number two, the memorial. Verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, but I saved you. Secondly, the reason why you take a Sabbath is because you remember that you were a slave 
and now you've been saved. What's the definition of a slave? I'll put it like this. Someone that cannot stop working. Someone that cannot rest. A slave is under the dominion of a taskmaster, a pharaoh in Egypt, and they tell that slave what they can do. And they can make any demand they want of that slave. A slave is somebody that cannot stop working. So what God is saying is this, I will not let this happen. I'm going to make sure that my people, my creation, realize they're not factories, they're gardens. They're to be fruitful. They're to enjoy life. That's what I want for them. You are my son. You are my daughter, not a slave to a pharaoh. So when we Sabbath, here's what we do. When we Sabbath, we say, we're not going to be slaves. We're not going to be slaves to work, to soccer, to our kids, to sports, to school, to culture, to technology. All those things can serve me, and they're great in that capacity, but none of them will enslave me. And so I'm going to make sure one day a week I say, no, no. So I just read a book called Sabbath by Abraham Herschel. Someone actually gave it to me. I read, read two books on the Sabbath that kind of re-engaged my thinking on Sabbath. He has a line in there that I thought was brilliant. He says this. He says, there is great happiness in the love of labor. What he's saying is, it's okay to enjoy work. I love my job. I love what I get to do. And that's a good thing. There's great happiness in the love of labor. But then he says, there is much misery in the love of gain. Gain's our enemy, not work. So Sabbath is this. One day a week you say no to the misery of gain. You're saying no to Egypt, and you're saying no to Pharaoh, and you're saying yes to being an image bearer of God. Hey, I love my job, no doubt, but I am never going to be a slave to that thing because I'm bigger than that. There's no way. So for one day a week, it's about not gaining something. So on that day, if I exercise, it's not to run a faster mile because I'd be looking to gain something. I'm not looking that day to make a bigger portfolio. I'm not looking that day to get more letters behind my name or something. I'm not looking that day to have my kids better represent me in karate or in the SAT scores or in whatever. It's not about gain that day. It's about saying no to all those things. That's what it is. And when you do, I think something happens to the other six days. They become fruitful. They become better. It's one day where you don't have to post things on InstaFace, Right? And one day where no one has to care that your cat is so cool or what you had for supper. Like one day where you just, it doesn't matter. I'm not about gain. I'm not about trying to get more people to like me. Here's the way I put Sabbath in my own mind. It is the one day, it is the one day that I remind myself that what I am looking for deep in my soul will never be found in creation, but only in the creator. It doesn't matter how much I gain financially, reputationally. It doesn't matter how much I gain. That's never going to do what I need to be done here. That only comes from God. It's one day that you remind yourself that. It's the one day I know I will not find this in creation, only in my creator. All right? So to me, that's why we Sabbath. 
It's in sync, and it's reminding ourselves. We're not slaves to these things. So how do we do that? 21st century, United States of America, full throttle, 12-second pace. How in the world do we do that? I don't know. I don't know. Charity and I have talked and kind of thrown around, like, how do we do that from Israel? Like, that looks so cool. I don't know, man. It's really hard. I have five kids. I've got two more kind of connected to us right now. How, how do we do that with, you know, the nine of us? How do we possibly Sabbath? Like, I have Monday, where on Monday, I kind of do things differently. So uh, that same book, Sabbath, Abraham Herschel says this, that the man that, that works with his mind will Sabbath with his hands. And the man that works with his hands will Sabbath with his mind. So my job is mostly mental. I talk with people, I counsel people, I read, I study. So for me to take another day where I sit and like read more, miserable. I wanna get out and chop wood or do something physical. Sometimes I'll just dig a hole and fill it back in. Just to be like, ah, oh, okay, life, yes. So yeah, you know, it's amazing to me that God tells us a lot what we should not do on the Sabbath. He doesn't tell us what we should do. It's very interesting to me. Like, don't do these things, but not, hey, here's the things you should do. It's more like, what, what fits with you guys? How does it work out? So Charity and I are like, how does this work? How, how, could we possibly do this? All of us, all nine of us, could we do this? Like, I don't know. Because I don't want it to be me, like, telling my kids, you have to do this. And pretty soon they're writing stories like Little House on the Prairie. And my dad was so miserable. We wait until he fell asleep and then we let escape. You know, I don't want that. <laughs> so how in the world do you do it? Where it's like, this is a blessing. This is a blessing. Because Jesus says in Mark 2.27, that man was not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for man. It was to be a blessing for us. It was to give us rest. It was to remind us that we're not slaves to this thing. So, so how, how do you do all this? I don't know. I'll give you some things and then we'll go. I think number one, it doesn't matter which day you do it. So Romans 14, Colossians 2. Both of those texts are real clear. Days don't matter. What day works for you? What day can you do this? Days don't matter. I think it'd be very healthy, 21st century America, to unplug from technology just for one day. Just say no to this thing. I'm not checking my email. I'm not checking my Snapchat. I'm, I'm not, for one day, I'm changing my Facebook status to Sabbathing, whatever it is. For one day, I'm just gonna say, no, right? Like I got rid of my cell phone now, it was 2012, five years ago. And the, the final straw for me was this. There was a bunch of reasons. But the final straw for me was this. I started getting phantom vibrations. You ever had those? Where you think your phone is on like vibrate and then you, 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 think, you think your phone is vibrating and then you pull it out and, and it wasn't a vibration. I'm like, that is so weird. It kept happening to me. So I Googled it. What's well, a normal phenomenon? Happens to a lot of people. And psychologists say it's this, it's the desire for people to want you. Like your brain is playing tricks on you. Like, ha ha, no one wants you. See, <laughs> I'm like, what in the world? I'm done with that thing. Get away. It was crazy, crazy. <laughs> so for one day, it's just like, you know what? I'm already wanted by the only opinion that matters. I'm unplugging. I'm not gonna be a slave to this thing anymore. It means that you, you, 
you take that day and it's not about gain, it's about enjoyment. So if you go for a walk, it's not about exercise. It's about being in God's creation and, and having a conversation with somebody and just enjoying the day. Not trying to gain something. It's having people over, not for networking or trying to figure out things. It's having people over because you know, I was created for this, that it's not good for man to dwell alone. And I'm gonna be in community the way I'm supposed to be. It's like that kind of stuff. And you know, when you have people over, my home doesn't have to be Norman Rockwell. It doesn't have to be this beautiful painting. Like real people live here. And real people break things and make messes. And so if you're coming to my house, be a real person and realize that. It's that kind of stuff. And if you go over to somebody's house and they're Sabbathing, it means that you don't leave them with the mess. It means you stay and you work with them and wash dishes with them and enjoy that. It's about enjoyment to me. Those are typically like the really, really big things. It's not about getting something. If you're reading the Bible, it's not about getting through 10 chapters because we're trying to read through the Bible in a year, so I better get caught up on this day. No, that's the wrong attitude to bring into a Sabbath. It's if I read 10 words and that's all I need, that's all I'm reading. It's that attitude. It's not about gain. It's about enjoyment. I'm just going to enjoy being the Imago Day. That's what I'm going to enjoy. But maybe here's the biggest one that Sabbath is. The biggest one for me is it's one day a week where you remind yourself that I am accepted by my heavenly father, not because of something I do, but because of something that's been done for me. And we need to be reminded of that all the time. It's called the gospel. We need to be reminded that's not about what I do on the six days that earns something from God, but it's about what Jesus Christ did for me that now gives me status as an image bearer, as a son, as a daughter of the king of the universe. It's that day that reminds us of that. And I need that so much because I have this little voice. It's a Pharaoh. Sometimes it's satanic that keeps attacking me throughout the week and saying, you're not worthy because of the sins I did this week or the sins I did last night, it's always attacking me. You're not worthy. You don't deserve to be in this rest. And so one day a week, one day a week we come and we say, uh-uh, it's not about what I've done. That I'm accepted because of the work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. In fact, I think that's what communion shows us. Like the order of communion to me is so amazing. The order of communion is the gospel. Religion says this, clean yourself up, get yourself all good and nice, and maybe God will look down and be like, my, 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 look at Matt Heverly. He is working his tail off. Man, you keep working like that for another 30 years, you might make it in. That's religion. Clean yourself up, work hard, and then you get in. The gospel is the bread first and then the cup. The bread is Jesus saying, I'll come into you just like you are. Don't try to clean yourself up because you can't. I'll come into you just like you are. And then drink forgiveness and drink cleansing because I'll change you into my image. You see it right here. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 11, come unto me, all who are heavy laden and weary. You ever feel heavy laden and weary? Jesus says, come to me. And I will give you rest unto your very soul. 
the real rest we're looking for, the real rest we want is found in Jesus. The weariness from our society and our world and all this stuff, ultimately we get the rest from coming to Jesus. And the Sabbath reminds me of that. I will never get what I want from creation, only from the creator. And when I take communion, I'm reminded I've been given that. I don't earn, I don't work for it. It's been given to me. And then when I drink the cup, I'm also told, and one day, Matt, Romans 8, 29, you will be conformed to my image. You will be the image bearer you're supposed to be, reflecting God like me. And so Jesus, I pray as we've talked about Sabbath, maybe some in here are intrigued by it and maybe they'll attempt it. Maybe for the next 30 days, for one month, Lord, four weeks, see what happens. See if our weeks are multiplied and our lives are more fruitful because we're in sync and we're reminded weekly by a whole day that we are your sons, we are your daughters. We've been set free from a Pharaoh because of the work of Jesus Christ. I pray this morning as we take, or this afternoon as we take the elements, your body that you offer for us It brings acceptance, access, renewal. I pray that, Lord, for each one of us in here, for those of us that so easily are brought down by the pharaohs of falsehoods, the lies that say we're unworthy, the lies that say our sins are too great. I pray that as we partake and eat of you, we would be reminded this day that our acceptance is based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago for us. And that work is never going to change. And we have been accepted in the beloved and we have access to your throne of grace right now. As we drink, Lord, if there are things that have enslaved us, I pray that as we drink, we would be set free from those things. Cleansed from all unrighteousness. Conformed to the image of the Son. Would you do that work, Lord, that only you can do, that only your spirit can do. We can't do those things. We can offer ourselves, we can partner with you, but you're the one. We can water and we can plant, but we need you to give us an increase. So do that through these elements, we pray this afternoon. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.